thank you all for coming and being a part. Man, how many of you enjoyed that extra hour of sleep last night? And how many of you regret this afternoon when it gets uh, dark at like 4.30, right? I mean, you pay for it in, in one way or another. It's amazing. Uh, we're starting a brand new study. How many of you can believe it's November already, right? It's crazy. This year is just zipped by and, and at the speed of sound, it seems like, just going, going by so quick. But uh, we're, we're talking about quitting some things this month. And, and I just want to tell you an old, old saying that most of us grew up with, quitters never what? Never win. But I'm going to tell you, if we quit the things that we're going to be talking about over the next four Sundays, then we're going to experience victory like we never have before. Would you turn and tell somebody, I love to win? Turn back and tell them it's winning time right now. How about them Braves this week, right? Well, I thought I'd get a better response, man. Me and Alexander are all about some Braves, right, brother? Okay, how about them Braves this week? Come on. I mean, when you think about it, you Yankee fans, I'm telling you, we're praying for you guys. I, I, I don't know. I, if you think about it, they had every good reason to throw in the towel this season. I mean, they lost their entire outfield by, by mid-year. All three of their starters were gone. Injuries, disciplinary problems, all kind of stuff. And they had to replace the entire outfield, man. How many of you know that's like one-third of your team? There's nine players out there at one time. So three, six, nine. Yeah, it's one-third. See, my math's still great. And at, at the All-Star break, they were under 500. They were like in third place in their division. I mean, they, everybody was counting them out. So, well, maybe what? Next year. <laughs> and that's the old saying. How about us? Do we say things like that? Well, maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Hey, New Year's coming. Maybe, maybe next year I'll jump in and do that. I'm going to tell you something, church. In my lifetime, I've discovered that there are two types of people. And write this down. Take notes today. There are those who make excuses, right? And that's what we're talking about today. It's time to quit making excuses and start making it happen. There are those who make, make excuses and there are those who make things happen. I love that. I love people who say, man, let's take that hill. Let's go for it. Let's make it happen. Let's start a church. Let's start a ministry. Let's reach out to the homeless community. Let's love on the kids and the, and the teenagers, man, who desperately need Jesus. Those who make excuses and those who make things happen, which one are you? Right? And I'm talking truthfully, not wishful thinking here. I'd love to be that kind of person that, that makes things happen. No, I'm talking about factually right now, which kind of person are you? Not wishful thinking, not delusion. Oh, yeah, I'm that kind, but you're really not. Which one of these two are you really in your life right now? Someone wrote years ago, we are skillful at the art of making excuses, aren't we? I don't know how. I don't understand it. I couldn't find the right tools. I, I threw my back out bowling the other night. I, I have a doctor's appointment. There's been a death in the family. The hazmat crew is here and won't let me out of the house. I, I have a, a relative coming in from Hawaii, and I need to go pick them up at the airport. And my all-time favorite one is this. When I got up this morning, I accidentally took two X-lax in addition to my Prozac. I can't get off the john, but I really feel good about it, right? <laughs> Don't advise it. In the Christian world, we can find all sorts of excuses as to why we can't obey God's call in our lives. Well, it's the preacher's job, amen? 
Well, it's just not my gifting in my area. I've already served. Let someone else have a turn. And I'm too busy or too tired or too old or too young. And it's been said that excuses are tools of the incompetent. And those who specialize in them seldom go far. Ben Franklin wrote these words. He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Right? I love that one. I love it. Moses in the Bible, he made excuses, right? God, I can't speak plain. People would not understand me. I, I'm just not the guy for the job. What about Gideon? I'm the least of the least of the least. You can't use me. I can't be a, a deliverer for our people. What about Peter? He made all kinds of excuses. I, I'm not educated. I'm not good enough. And on and on and on. And Abraham and Sarah, what were their excuses? We're too old. You're kidding me. We're going to have a child? I'm, I'm, I'm way past that time in my life. I love how with God, excuses just never hold water. Right? And same with us. We're in great company. But just like them, our excuses will never, never get us out of what God is calling us to be and to do. So today we're going to take a look at a man by the name of Jeremiah. Not this Jeremiah was a bullfrog, not that. How many of you remember that old song, huh? Really showing my age. We're talking about Jeremiah who was called by God to be a prophet. And Jeremiah had every excuse ready when God called him to this prophetic ministry. His excuses are often our excuses for not heeding God's voice when he calls us. And countering each excuse, and I love this, was a direct promise from God stating why he could do it when he said he couldn't. Would you turn to your neighbor right now and say, no matter what, you can do it. If God is calling you to do it. So let's take a look at the, the things he tried. And how many of us have tried? How many of us have thrown out excuse after excuse as to why we can't serve God? We can't be in ministry. We can't accomplish anything that the Lord has spoken to our hearts to go for. We all have. Amen. I'm in good company this morning. And the first thing he tried was simply this. The task is too difficult. You see, he was called to be a prophet to the nations in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Not a priest like his father and his grandfather. A prophet was a chosen and authorized spokesman for God who declared God's word to the people. Now, we, we think a lot of times of prophets as people who can tell the future. You ever kind of thought in that mindset of what a prophet is? But let me clarify something. A prophet spoke messages to the present that had future ramifications. They were foretellers, not foretellers, if you will. Exposing the people's sins and calling them back to their covenant responsibilities and relationship to God. So being a prophet was more demanding than serving as a priest. The priest's duties were predictable. Everything was written down in the law. The prophet never knew from one day to the next what the Lord was going to call him to say or to do. How many of you would love to be in that position? You wake up every morning, you think to yourself, man, God, I don't know what you have in store today. But I understand and realize from experience, it's going to be a wild ride, baby. Let's go for it, right? That's kind of the prophet's office and duties and responsibility, the way that they live from day to day. The priest primarily worked to preserve the past. The prophet labored to change the present so the nation would have a future. Priests dealt with the externals, the rituals, the sacrifices, the offerings, the services, like we do in this church and at churches across the land. Whereas the prophet 
try to reach and change the hearts of the people. Priests ministered primarily to individuals with various needs, and prophets, on the other hand, addressed whole nations, and usually the people they addressed did not want to hear their message. Isn't that a lot of fun? How many of you had to deliver some tough news to somebody? And, and, and let me just say, somebody you really care about. And you know their feelings were going to get hurt. You know their pride was going to be kind of dampened down a little bit. You know it was going to kind of rub them wrong and, and step on their shoes, so to speak. All the terms that we like to use. But guess what? You needed to tell them anyway. It wasn't going to be easy, but you had to deliver the message. They didn't want to hear it. How many of you don't like hearing those kind of things in your own life? Well, let's be, be honest, be truthful. You want people who are going to pat you in the back, say everything's great, you're just a wonderful person, you're doing everything right. But sometimes we get off track. The office of the prophet had to deliver those messages people didn't necessarily want to hear. Priests belonged to a special tribe and therefore had authority and respect, but a prophet could come from any tribe and had to prove their divine calling. Priests were supported from the sacrifice and the offerings of the people, but prophets had no guaranteed support. So yeah, it's a tough assignment for sure. How many of you remember this guy? A guy by the name of Jesus. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about in here? He too was called to be a prophet and he traveled from place to place, challenging the people to change so that their future in heaven would be guaranteed. Jesus spoke to the hearts of people. Most did not accept his message of repentance because they did not want to change. And at the heart of everything, that's the rub for most of us. Do we not, as human beings, often get set and settled in our ways? I mean, we get into a groove. How many of you remember playing records on a record player? And they kind of made a comeback in the last several years. And those needles that, that would bring that, that sound to life would get in those grooves and play those sounds. And I don't understand how any of it works. I'm still blown away how a radio works. I, my mind is not technologically advanced like that. I don't think like that. But we get into a groove and we get settled in our ways. And we do not like to change. And the older we get the less we like change. And some of us <laughs> really don't like change because we're really getting up there. Not me, of course, but some of you are. I just wanted to remind you of that. So, so we don't like change, and yet prophets are called to bring a message of change. Just like Jeremiah, just like Jesus, Jesus spoke to the hearts of people. But, but here's the first promise that God gives to Jeremiah's first excuse. Listen, God may assign you a difficult task. And for some of you, it may seemingly be impossible what the Lord's calling you to. And I know that feeling in my own life. He's assigning you to a difficult task just as he was with Jeremiah. But his call keeps us going when we don't want to go and are ready to throw in the towel and quit. We have the promise of God's purpose. He says to Jeremiah in verse 5, I chose you before I what? Formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were even born. What he's saying to him is this, I make you this guarantee before you were even a twinkle in your mama's eye. Before your mama was a twinkle in her mama's eye. I knew you. I had a plan to put you on this planet 
And my plan for you was to call you and commission you as a prophet to the nations. A spokesman of me. You're going to go out and deliver my words to the people. Wow. Now we, we look at these accounts and we look at these testimonies of men and women who have gone before us in God's word. And we think, wow. God did that amazing stuff for them. How awesome that is. But what we want to convey to all of us here in this room and we'll be watching this moving forward is simply this. The same God who had a plan for Jeremiah before he was even a twinkle in his mama's eye <laughs> has the same kind of plan for you and me today in our lives 2021 and moving forward. And every excuse in the book that we want to use as to why we can't do that, God has a promise to combat that and say to us, you can do all things because I am here with you. You are my plan. You are my plan. Turn and share with somebody, you are God's plan. I chose you, I formed you in the womb, I set you apart before you were even born. This verb know has much more meaning than simply being aware of it. It carries the idea of recognition of the worth and the purpose of him or her who is known. God knew Jeremiah, chose Jeremiah, and appointed him. He was known by name. He was handpicked by God and commissioned to serve in this way. Those acts give one a great sense of purpose. The promise of God's purpose allows us to let go. Hear me this morning, church. To let go of our own plans and faithfully marry ourselves to the plan that God has for us without fear. Like Jeremiah and Jesus, we need to accept that our future is not our own. We are God's. Those of us who are Christ followers have been bought with a price. That price is the blood of the precious Lamb of God, Jesus himself, from Calvary's hill. And when we understand that, that we were bought and paid for by our God, the King of glory, and that the plans and the scripts that he has for our life mapped out are for us to run and embrace and sell and drop and leave everything else behind, I'm telling you, church. When you understand that, when that gets in your heart and your spirit and you give yourself fully to it and you marry that plan that God has on your life. At that point in time, you and I will live as fulfilled as we could possibly ever be in this body here on this earth. Outside of that, everything else is going to fall short. No matter how much earthly success we have when we give ourselves to the plans that God himself has scripted long before we were ever even put on this planet. That's real living. Nothing else will compare. The next excuse he tries is, I'm just not... Just not talented enough. Anybody? Well, you all a bunch of talented people then. You got it all together. I can just give somebody else the mic. Don't come up here. <laughs> I waited three weeks for my turn. 
Verse 6, Jeremiah said, I mean, you gotta, you got to like the, the gall here. But I protested, oh no, Lord, God, look, I don't even know how to speak since I am only a youth. How many of you have been there before? You see, what he's feeling is what so many of us felt inadequacy as a public speaker. Moses said the same thing. I can't even put a sentence together, God. You certainly won't be calling me to do this. I don't understand. You've got your wires crossed. The people heard that I was called to preach. And at the age of 17, my circle of people that I, that I did life with and, and, and thought somebody has made a mistake. Not Robert Thompson. Surely you don't mean him. You've got to be thinking of somebody else. He's way too shy. And I was. And still am. I don't like the limelight. I'd rather be hiding out in the back and kind of in the woodworks when nobody sees me. And you're thinking, that doesn't really seem like it jives, but, it, but that's, that's it. When they were doing school plays, I wasn't the one on the front row going, I doth protest. No, I was back here being a tree and just kind of hiding out going, don't look at me. Don't see me. Don't even know I'm here. I don't even want to be here. My stupid teacher made me come up here. Jeremiah felt inadequate. I felt inadequate. I love how one pastor and an author wrote that, that he, he, he was talking about his call to, to go into ministry and be a pastor. And he said, when I told my preacher I was called to preach, he did not necessarily feel that God had a wrong number. But he was concerned that I might have had a poor connection when I heard that. But God has a way to overcome weakness and our insufficiencies, doesn't he? I've learned that over the years... However, that the person most aware of his own inadequacy is usually the person most dependent on God's all-sufficiency. My inadequacy has caused me to rely upon God completely. I pray this all the time before I ever get up in front of anybody to deliver the words of God. God, if you don't show up, we're all in trouble because I got nothing to give. In and of myself, I have nothing. But Lord, you show up, you speak through me, you work through me, God, and we are all going to be in good shape. Because it's you, not me. God has this way to overcome weakness in our lives when we say yes and rely upon him. Paul said, in my weakness, God, you are what? Come on, people. You are what? Strong. So the promise here to Jeremiah and to us today is this. Our talent may appear inadequate. But God always equips those that he calls, as we've heard over the years. And, 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 and we have the promise of God's provision. Because the Lord responded this way in verse 9. Then the Lord reached out his hand. And I love this. Get ready because he's going to do this to some of you. And touch my mouth. I, I can spiritually see God reaching down and touching people's mouths across this room. Cupping your face with his hand and putting his hand on your lips. And here's what he says. And God told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. Wow, what power. What authority, what a touch can do to somebody's life. The touch was not only to purify as, as much as it was to inspire and empower. It was symbolic of the gift of prophecy bestowed upon Jeremiah. If you think back, Jesus experienced this touch in a visible yet profound way. Following his baptism in water, immediately coming up out of the water, the heavens opened up, the Bible tells us, and the Spirit of God descended on him like a what? Like a dove. And God spoke and said, this is my beloved son and I take delight in him. My heart is joyful because of him being obedient to the call and responding. In Matthew 3, verse 17. 
God blesses not the smooth-tongued orator. He'll even reach down and bless the South Gastonia redneck and use him or her. He blesses the one whose tongue has been touched with the coals from the altar of God in heaven. God uses not the most gifted and talented person, but the one touched by the hand of God. He uses the most unlikely people to shake a church or a community or a nation. Never underestimate the power of God's touch, especially when he touches your life and your mouth. Excuse number three, it's just not the right, just not the right time. Time, You see, God, I've got this schedule mapped out, and, and you're on the schedule. That's the good news, God. You're on there. Just not right now. Because you see, I've got this grand plan laid out and this, this master design that, that I want to follow and I want to see happen. So, God, you're, you're there. You, you made the list. That's the good news. And I know you're excited about that, right, God? You, you talk to God like that? You say, well, I would never. Well, yeah, you do. Every day. Every week. God, you know, God, I would, I would serve. I would go. I would give. I would help. I would, I would love. I would, I would extend. I would, I would minister. I would do these things. But it's just, just not a good time for me, God. Everything going on at work, and kids are driving me nuts, and I'm just tired all the, all the time. I, you know, I just don't have enough enough time in the in the day to do everything else I got to do now. And so God, you know, so so here's what Jeremiah said. He said, "God, I am only a youth." In verse six, and the word "youth" unfortunately rendered "child" in some versions of the Bible ordinarily denotes a young unmarried man in his teens or early twenties. And most scholars think that Jeremiah was around twenty to twenty-five at the time of this call. So his reply is not so much revealing his age as much as a deep sense of immaturity. Turn to somebody right now and say, it's time to grow up. Now everybody else try it. About, about 30% of you did that. It's time to grow up. Come on. He felt inferior, inexperienced, and intimidated by the size of the call which God was summoning him. But how many of us say, thank God for the promises? right? Because here's the next promise. God's call may come at an inappropriate time, but he never sends forth his servant alone. We have the promise of God's presence. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone. Some of you need to write that down. Do not be afraid of anyone. God tells me I don't have to be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to deliver you. This is the Lord's declaration in Jeremiah 1, 7 and 8. Please note the condition to this promise. Before Jeremiah could experience God's presence, he had to go where God was sending him. You put one foot in the water and you watch that water divide. You watch those waters part, and you be able to walk across. But you got to put a foot in the water, amen? you got to go to where he sends you and calls you and, and is beckoning you to go. And God's promise is, I will be with you wherever that is. Someone once said that when God calls us to a task, he does not give us a road map to follow and then leave us to our own resources. No, God walks that way with us. His presence gives us strength to stand in the face of every assault. 
Jesus felt that very same presence. He and the Father are one. He could go on because God was always with him. What a difference it makes knowing that when we are being sent, someone is going with us. We know we do not have to walk the difficult roads alone, that we have a traveling companion whose name is Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will always be with you, always be with you. I'm going to tell you something. Some of you are going to need that in the next couple weeks. You're going to need to hear those words and be reminded of that promise. That even though you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil. God, your good shepherd, is right there with you in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and never going to walk away from you. Never, 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 never. People will walk away from us in this life. I'm going to tell you, I've experienced it. You've experienced it. We've seen people make promises and break those promises and walk away. But God is not a person that he will lie when he says, I'll be with you. When he tells Jeremiah, you go and I'm going to go with you. You speak and my words are going to come out of you. You can best believe that's exactly what he will do every single time. Never fail. I'm as sure of that as I am standing in front of you right now. God is with us. He is sending you and me. And he's telling us in a strong and loving way, stop making excuses. You don't know how many people we run into week after week who say, I'm coming to church, Pastor. I'm going to get there one of these days. I'm just gotten to get over this fear. Get over it. Run back to there's going to be a day when people are going to be running to the church. And they're going to be banging on the doors and nobody's going to be here. Today is the day. Stop with the excuses. I see people going all over kingdom come today and yet they will not go to a church. And they say they love God. Say they want to be in church. I'm meddling now. But it's not me meddling. The Holy Spirit is trying to get a hold of hearts today, right now. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of loving God. Every day we open our eyes and wake up. It's the day that the Lord has made and we should rejoice and be glad and love him and serve him with everything we've got. And get rid of the excuses and step up and be a man and a woman of God after his own heart. Quit playing games. Next excuse he makes is that the message is too hard and too dangerous. The Lord didn't give Jeremiah a joyful message of deliverance to announce. Just like this morning, this isn't a joyful, happy, oh boy, this is good. Let's just, whoo, kumbaya, thank you Lord, what a day. Not that kind of message. I guess you figured that part out by now, huh? He gave him a tragic message of judgment. And consequently, Jeremiah would be misunderstood, persecuted, arrested, and imprisoned. More than once, his life, his very life was threatened. People didn't want to hear the truth. Does that sound familiar? Any at all? Close? Jeremiah told them plainly they were defying the Lord God, disobeying his commands, and destined for judgment. Here's what that looked like. God used the image of a boiling pot to communicate his coming wrath. 
He says in Jeremiah 1.13, again the word of the Lord came to me inquiring, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I replied, I see a boiling pot, its lip tilted from north to south. You see, Jewish homes would have a fairly large wide mouth washing or cooking pot that they used every day. The unusual thing about the pot that Jeremiah saw was that it was not level. It was tilted away from the north towards the south. The pot could at any moment spew its boiling contents towards the south, scalding the people of Judah. You see, what, what this is, is the pot represented the nation of Babylon that would invade and conquer Israel. The reason for the judgment was Israel's idolatry and their rebellion against God's righteous will and word. And I'm going to tell you something, if this doesn't sound for me or if this doesn't ring a wake-up call for America, I don't know that anything will. The nation that has been so blessed... So abundantly blessed by God that the nation that, that the Lord has poured his blessings upon because we were a righteous nation. We were founded, I don't care what any liberal moron wants to tell us, we were founded on the principles of the Bible and God himself, period. And when we disobey, listen church, when we disobey as God's people, then he calls us to repentance and to confess our sinfulness and plead for his forgiveness and revival to come. And it's got to start in the house of God. The church has played games too long. Christ followers have played around with this thing called Christianity. You didn't see that in the first disciples. They were willing to give their lives. When Rome made dictates and mandates, they stood against those that went against their faith and belief in God and his word. And many of them were put to death because of that. But they went out singing and worshiping God, knowing that the last breath they take here will lead to the first breath they take with Jesus in eternity. The message is hard. Jesus himself, his message contained mercy and judgment, grace and punishment. His teachings were dangerous too. So much so, in fact, that it was his teaching that cost him his life on Calvary. As we were experiencing today, truth is not always popular. And getting more and more dangerous to stand up for, live by, and proclaim that's okay we're going home this is temporary these light and momentary trials as Paul described them don't you love that see whatever you're going through right now you think it's the worst thing in the world sometimes oh whole world's collapsing no it's not Jesus is still on the throne I belong to him. He's coming back for me one day, and I'm going to be home. And these are light and momentary, temporary situations that cannot compare to eternity. The last excuse that we see is, do I have to go now? I mean, get this. God was expecting immediate action from Jeremiah. So much so that he said in verse 17, now get ready, stand up, and tell them everything I command you. Now in Jeremiah's day, the men had to tie their loose robes together with a belt in order to run or to work. And how many of you men are thankful we got britches we can wear? You ever heard that term, britches? That's what I grew up with. 
Get in there, put your britches on. We got to get out the house and get you to school. And some of you don't, don't know me are thinking, he really is a redneck. <laughs> you might be a redneck. I'm just kidding. They had to tie up the robe. I don't like robes. I don't wear a bathrobe. Get that image out of your head. <laughs> Jeremiah was in for a struggle. He had to fight. He had a fight on his hands. So the phrase, dress yourself for work or gird up your loins was a metaphor that meant get ready for action. Today we would say, let's roll up our sleeves and get to it, right? Or better yet, let's make it happen, Captain. Anybody love that? Turn, that's, that's one of mine. Uh, okay, never mind. God called Jeremiah to act. And if you're taking notes, would you just write that word down? It's time to act. In bold letters, he was called to move out among the people. He was called to deliver this offensive, hard message. He would not be welcomed, nor would he be accepted. He would anger his hearers, actually. Sounds fun, right? How many can see why he was so ready to get to it? Oh, yeah, let's go, man. That's awesome. I'm, I'm in. Somebody tells you after church today that they're going to take you uh, over, to the, uh, over to, the, to, the, to the outback and feed you a steak dinner and it's on them and stuff. You'll be ready to jump all over that offer, right? Be no hesitation. But if they told you, hey, man, come on out to the, to the streets of Gastonia and help us serve, serve a meal to the homeless folks today, you'll be like, oh, man, you know, I, I would. However, however, I've got to walk my turtle today. So it, it, you know, it only happens like once every six months and just so happens today's the day at that exact same time. And it takes forever. You, you know how turtles are. It's like. You ever walked a turtle? It's painful. God called Jeremiah to act now. He's called to move amongst the people. And, and Jeremiah resisted, but, but I love the promises. Man, that's, that's where it's at. And here's one more for you today. God expects obedience immediately. If we don't, we're in danger of God's wrath. We had the promise of God's power. In verse 17, he said, do not be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to cower before them. Don't want to see that happen. Okay. Immediate obedience is the only appropriate response whenever God calls us. How about Jesus one more time? He obeyed. I mean, whatever you think of Jesus, remember this. His heart was a willing and obedient heart. He always did what his father directed. There was no hesitation, no questioning, no circumventing, only immediate action. So as we close this right now, I want to ask a couple of questions. Has God called you? And the answer to that is profoundly yes. Profoundly yes. Definitely yes. A hard yes, as we like to say now. Yes, he's called you. Has he called you to do exactly what I'm doing? Maybe not. Maybe so. If so, we want to give you opportunity. We've got a school of ministry that, that has put, been put together here. We're taking young leaders through this and any leaders through this. But here's the thing. God has definitely called you. And so here, he will fulfill his purpose in you. He will equip you. He will enable you. He will protect you. He will accompany you. The question really then becomes, are you obeying his calling and commands? Then he is with you to protect you. Are you sharing the word? If so, he will accomplish his purpose no matter how the people respond. You think it's fun coming in here week after week after week after week, preaching and presenting the word of God that he puts on our hearts as a pastoral team, only to have many of you just look at us like, 
I'm in this church, but right here I'm walking my turtle. That exciting, adventurous turtle walk is just, woo. Or how about this? Man, that was some good preaching. I just wish so-and-so was here to hear it. They really needed that. You just want to bring out a full-size mirror, put it in front of them and say, mm, how about looking right there? I think you might need this too. Just a hint from the Holy Spirit. Huh? But, but yeah, you better look in that mirror. Listen, it, it's time to quit making excuses. What is it with you? What was God speaking to your life? Maybe for some of you in here and out there, it's salvation. Well, I'm going to get my life right with God one of these days. One of these days, I'm going to surrender. One of these days, I'm going to come to salvation. One of these days, I'm going to, I'm going to have him just cleanse me. One of these days, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to go all in one of these days. But, but I've got a, a few other things I want to do first. Tick tock, tick tock. Hey, woo, girl, now you preaching, meddling. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's serving somewhere. Well, I can't. Well, they got enough people. Well, this, that. You know, right now we are battling having enough people that will teach our precious children on Sundays. That will love them and impart to them and share with them and mold them and shape them. That's a shame in a congregation this size. And Pastor Scott just walked in. He's over our children's ministry. and He's back there going, Exactly. You know, we all have to beg, borrow, and plead for people to, to come back and serve. Come back and rock a baby. Come back and take care of them. You know, I, it's, it's whoo-hoo, man. Some of you are like, man, I picked a day to come to church. <laughs> Maybe it's a ministry that God is calling you to birth, to launch. Another way to reach more people for Jesus Christ. That's what ministry is, to love and serve and give and, and introduce them to the greatest thing ever, 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 Jesus his love, his forgiveness, his purpose, his life, his freedom. Maybe it's a sin you're playing around with. Yeah, it's, it's okay. God's got me covered in this. I, I, can, I can mess with this a little bit. It's, it, it doesn't have me. I can, I can control when and, and, and how much and, and all that. I, I've got it. I, I can handle this. If you will study how sin operates throughout the word of God, if you'll study how sin operates in the lives of people that are around us right now, one little toke, one little smoke, one little drink, one little sip, and the next thing you know, it's more and more. One little look at porno, and the next thing you know, it's more and more. The next thing you know, you're selling all you have for that one bowl of porridge that is not going to last, not going to satisfy, and will let you down every time. And it starts with one. And you think you can handle it. You think you can control the monster. But I'm going to tell you, the monster called sin will rise up if given one little opportunity and destroy your life and your family and your future and your ministry and everything that you hold dear. And you sell out for it. You can't handle it, but he can handle it. If you'll come and surrender and not make excuses. Maybe it's... Time to be better to your family. I'm going to be that good husband, that godly man. I, I'm going to be that, that, that wife that, that my, my husband needs. I'm going to be those parents. I, maybe it's that. I don't know. But here's what I do know. And if you'll close your eyes for just a moment and hear this. I do know that we as people, as human beings, are great at making excuses. 
And, and, and we've always been that way. I mean, we, we talked about people today who were good at it. We're good at rationalizing and justifying why we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. But here's what I want to charge us with. Let's become great at obedience to all that God is calling us to be and to do. Let's, let's be great at that. Let's, let's change. Let's turn. Let's quit making excuses and start making the plans and the purposes of God happen in our lives. And as always, it starts with surrender. And I ask you with your eyes closed right now and you're nobody looking around, nobody stirring, nobody doing anything else right now, but just allowing the Lord to continue to deal with your heart because I know that he's been dealing with it. I know it's, it's, it's been happening for a while that the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your door, pulling at your heart, speaking to you directly. So in one big fell swoop of a call this morning, if you're in this room, and whatever area of life, maybe it's something I didn't even mention, but the Holy Spirit has gripped your heart and said to you today, right now, the time is now that it's time to stop making excuses in that particular area or areas of your life. I don't even want to see your hand raised. I just want you to stand up wherever you're at across this room. Stand up right now and say, this is my time. I am responding to the Lord with a big yes. Would you stand across the room now? It's your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to rush through this. I'm going to give you another couple of moments here. If you want to join these precious people who are standing across this room right now in every section of this sanctuary, would you just stand right now? I know there's more than this. I know the Holy Spirit is dealing with some of you and you're trying to push it back, push it back. Nope, not, not today, not today. I'm just not ready. I'm just whatever. I, I don't know, but I do know this. This is your time. You better push back the enemy and make that stand. Would you stand with these right now? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, 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 yes. God is faithful. And I guarantee you this this morning. When we make our stand for him, he stands with us and for us in that stand. Whatever it is. Thank you. Thank you. Now here's what I want to do. Some of you that are sitting. Not every one of you. Because some of you are still battling some things in your own life. But some of you that are sitting. You got brothers and sisters that are standing close by you and when I, when I ask you to I want you to open your eyes and that first person you see standing I want you to get up and go stand with them as we pray together over all these that are making a stand this morning alright open your eyes and see who that is and go to them right now those of you that feel the Holy Spirit leading you to do just that would you do that right now I got some people that need some people right now thank you thank you for responding Thank you for moving towards somebody. We can have two or three or four people around one person. That's fantastic. The more, the better, as we like to say. The more, the better. If we don't like to say it, we just coined that. We'll start saying it. The more, the better. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you. What a beautiful sight. What a beautiful sight. Would you begin to pray right now for them? I, I want to give you a head start. 
I want you just to begin to pray. You may not even know their name. That's okay. Just pray for my brother and my sister here. I stand with them. Just go ahead. I'm not going to put the words in your heart and your mouth. I want you to pray and intercede and, and speak those blessings over their lives, whatever it may be right now that I'm going to pray over us all. And we're going to worship God with all of our hearts all together in this room. And just because you're sitting doesn't mean that, that, that you, you're fighting it. I, I trust that everything's right with you and God. But if something's still there and you need to stand up, you stand. I'll come to you myself and pray over you and with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the work of the body that's going on right now. Brothers and sisters praying for one another. Lord, how beautiful that is. When we stand together knowing that you stand with us, God. I thank you, Lord, that today you are shaking the rust and the dust off of us, God. You are telling us the promises that come from your heart and your mouth that are sure and true and yes and amen. And no matter what excuse we made in the past, those things are put to death today just as you did with that great prophet Jeremiah who spoke to the nations when you called him and shook him and said, here's my plan for you. He rose up, God, and he pushed back all the excuses when you told him you've got the answer for every reason why he couldn't. And you're telling him he can, and he did. And you're telling us the same today. God, no matter what we face, no matter what reasons we give that we can't, Lord, you are speaking to our hearts and lives. We can serve you today in salvation, God. We can live for you as ambassadors and children of the Most High God. Thank you for that, that promise today that you're with us. That we can step out in the ministry. That we can serve. We can give. We can love God. We can do all that you have called us to do, Lord. I just pray for new ministry to be birthed right now in the heavenlies. And let it come to fruition and manifestation here in this church and community and around the world, Lord, as you would direct it. I pray for better husbands and fathers, men. After God's own heart, he'll quit playing around with the things of this world and see you in all your glory and run to you and embrace that high calling for wives and moms that, that will love you and serve you and minister to their families and unite with their husbands and serve together as, as a family unit. I pray for your glory to reside in those homes as never before. I pray, Jesus, that you would call us as a church body to stop making excuses and to come together as a lighthouse that you have established in this community and around the world, God. That we would be better people because of you and our obedience being stronger to you and saying yes no matter what the ask is, God. Whatever you ask or command or call us to, we will do, Lord, with joyful hearts, with love, with grace with passion set us on fire Lord set us on fire God yes. let it burn bright in Jesus name let it burn.